I'm Alejandra Menian. And I'm Megan McGill. Welcome to Talking Culture. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is produced on the traditional territory of the Ganyan Cahaga on the land known as Chiochiage. We recognize the Ganyan Cahaga as the rightful stewards of this land. So here we are. <laughs> We're back together again, doing In the News, Alejandra. It's so nice to have you back. <laughs> oh, I'm... I'm so happy to be back. Um, no, but like seriously, it was really funny for me listening to the last in the news um, and not having been there. Like it was really fun to hear you and Danielle and like what the podcast is like without me. <laughs> um, but also kind of sad. <laughs> I had some serious FOMO. <laughs> well, we we missed you. I haven't done one of these. I think with just you since we had Danielle on the podcast. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's a throwback. throwback to in the news, early days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you want to go first? What did you What did you bring? Sure. Yes. Um, so today I am going to talk about the current effort at a Bessemer, Alabama, Amazon warehouse to unionize the six thousand workers there. But before I go into the details of the situation, I just want to add like a quick reminder up front that Jeff Bezos's wealth increased to over $200 billion um, between March and October of 2020. So just, you know, quick reminder how much money he has made um, over the pandemic and how much Amazon has profited to like to unimaginable extent during COVID and because of COVID. But the conditions of Amazon workers have been abysmal throughout. Um, so the most famous example being workers needing to pee in bottles because they haven't had time for pee breaks and just the health conditions um, being really bad. So just wanted to put up front, you know, <laughs> Amazon is making money off of this tragedy um, and they are benefiting. Yeah. So just that to start. But anyway, so the process of unionizing has been ongoing for some time now. Uh, it's been a messy and tricky process um, because basically the RWDSU, the Retail Warehouse and Department Store Union, isn't allowed anywhere on Amazon's property, but Amazon basically has their workers held hostage, I guess, um, while they're on the clock. They have to be there. And so they can use that to try to sway their their votes. So one employee reported that Amazon forced employees into meetings um, that were like an hour long to try to convince them not to unionize, um, and also that they sent anti-union private messages to workers and posted anti-union signs in hallways and bathrooms. Um, So Amazon has really actively been fighting this and trying really hard um, to not allow this unionizing to happen. Yeah, it's also kind of like wild, the tactics that they've been using elsewhere outside of the warehouse um, themselves, because they literally, (laughs) they created a fake Twitter, or multiple fake Twitter accounts. Really? Impersonating, yes, impersonating Amazon workers to tweet anti-union messages. Um, Wow. So I, I should, yeah, I should say that there's no proof that, like, Amazon created those accounts, but the bank accounts were created. So, I, you know, I'm not a journalist, so, like, come <laughs> on. Who else would it be? Um, 
So anyway, the votes have been cast now, which is really exciting. Um, the workers have voted, and they are expected to be counted this week. The counting process is a little bit difficult and tricky, and like you can contest ballots um, and like what is valid and what isn't. So it's going to be like a long and messy process, but it should get started this week. And for me, it's kind of conflicting because. I mean, I hate Amazon. I don't believe that Amazon deserves to be reformed. I think that it needs to be torn down, personally. Um, but I also believe in unions. And so what's exciting about it for me, besides just that like the workers at Amazon specifically will be treated better in the present moment, is that it this might spark a trend towards unionizing workers in the tech sector and workers who are involved in the gig economy more broadly. And I feel like that's kind of where the anthropology comes in because we're starting to see this conceptualization of labor um, and what counts as labor and what counts and what kind of labor has uh, value changing. Um, and I, I love seeing that. So yeah, I mean, I've I've also been following this story a little bit and. You know, I'm also like pretty pro-union. Um, it seems wild to me that we're having a discussion around these sorts of working conditions in 2021. I guess I'm just like really curious to see how this goes because the like the language around it and like kind of attitudes towards unions more broadly have really shifted kind of in the last century, I guess. Um, and it's like, even I've kind of felt myself, like, thinking, like, oh, like, what will the union do for me? Or, like, falling prey to some of these things. And um, it's just really important. Like, these are the, this is how we can have better working conditions. And it's crazy to me that lots of workers, like, might be opposed to that when, like, it's benefiting them, you know? But I don't know. I'm yeah no I know I'm really glad to hear you say that because for me I I mean maybe this is just like a naivete of my own and like an ignorance of my own but I personally don't understand like how workers could be opposed to unions like I understand being in conflict with your union I understand like disagreeing with some of the things that your union is doing but I don't really understand being anti-union in general as as a worker um yeah, and I think that it like comes from this mentality that has like maintained from trickle down economics that like what is best for the people at the top will end up being best for the people at the bottom and that like union a union for Amazon will be expensive for Amazon so that's going to you know be bad for Amazon and then that's going to end up being bad for the workers but like <sighs> How do we how do we escape from that mentality? I don't know. I feel like we are though, right? And like these efforts are kind of showing that we might be moving back in that direction of understanding the the importance of unionized labor. Well, yeah, I think it's like part of kind of a broader conversation because there was this like kind of recently talking about like minimum wage increases in the United States as well, and. I don't know, I might have spent too long in a Twitter hole about this, but like seeing people's comments <laughs> against like paying people a living wage was just like shocking to me as if like, I don't know, as if Jeff Bezos and Amazon can't afford to pay people a living wage, like just as an example, you know? Jeff Bezos personally could afford yes. to pay these people a living wage. Like not even Amazon, like Jeff Bezos could. <laughs> yeah, and like... 
the idea that like if it's best for Amazon or best for Jeff Bezos like in a money making sense that it'll be good for the people at the bottom like I think these cases are showing that that isn't true and so it's still kind of crazy to me like he has no reason like he's making trillions of dollars you know like he has no reason to think like why would I change what I'm doing you know or like Amazon has no reason to think that um you know, if they don't care about people, but they have no reason, like, from a money-making point of view to change the way they're working. So, like, a union is the way to be able to stand up to something that big, you know? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like the classic power in numbers situation. Like, you need to unionize. (laughs) You need to, like, come together as a group in order to stand up to people who have such immense amounts of power like there that is the only way to do it no no one jeff bezos isn't gonna respond to like people asking nicely (laughs) no 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 i think he's (laughs) he's demonstrated that um i'm curious you mentioned like thinking about like which labor like counts as labor and things more broadly do you want to Mm. expand on that kind of thought a little bit more sure yeah i um i was thinking like This particular example is kind of classic labor example, like a a warehouse and like workers. Um, But I, I, in the article that I was reading, it talked about how this is going to kind of be a push for tech, the tech industry workers more generally to, um, to unionize and to ask for rights. And it just made me think about like the gig economy and like, how so many people in our generation and young and generations younger than us now are working in ways that like in non-traditional ways in ways that aren't as um like nine to five like clock mm-hmm. in clock out right um and how this type of labor is has is is often seen as kind of like a hobby right. for for, uh, for I don't want to generalize, but like older generations are like people who don't really understand the gig economy as much. And so and so many of those jobs are in tech, you know, or, or, or are like virtual or are, I don't know, in like other types of ways that people are learning how to survive <laughs> right now. Um, and so I'm really hoping that be, that this fight will show people that even when working for these like weird structured industries like the tech industry you can you can still you still have rights as a worker yeah I think maybe like also um kind of the impacts of the pandemic on that sort of labor force is also like going hand in hand with this to demonstrate like how those workers are impacted but also demonstrating like how we, you know, kind of a general we are conceptualizing them because like thinking about a Canadian case, like the, say the, the benefits that were given, you know, the CERB benefits, um, there was a lot of discrepancy around like gig workers, around people who are self-employed. And I think that it kind of like shone a light on how we think about those sorts of industries a little bit. And I think you're right. Cases like this, can help us kind of look at that another way as well you know yeah and to find solidarity and to like realize that you know even if you're a web designer working for a tech company the people who are working in the warehouse of whatever tech company are also working in the tech sector and also your comrades you know like also your you're in solidarity with them you both work 
for these companies and like there needs to be solidarity between sectors of an industry i i have rambled about amazon and about unions for a while now i think maybe we should move on to you (laughs) what did you bring to the table today okay so i wanted to bring um bring up something like there was just new news in it today so i think it's good to bring it up now, um, which is the new law in Arkansas, like the anti-trans law, which it, which would ban um, treatments and gender-confirming surgeries for um, transgendered youth. Yeah, so this was, was brought forward and voted by the House in Arkansas, um, but was recently kind of vetoed by the Republican governor there. Though just last night I saw that um, his his veto was overridden, um, and so this law is going to go ahead um, despite like it not being supported by um, medical professionals, despite it not being supported by trans activists, and like kind of the justification they've given for this is that they're like protecting protecting minors against I guess being talked into surgeries. <laughs> Or, or medical treatments that they're maybe too young to understand, which, you know, a number of um, mental health and um, physical health, you know, professionals have, have spoken up against and as well as like um, LGBTQ activists. So, yeah, I guess like reading about this, I felt kind of like hesitant to bring it up, not because I didn't want to focus on it, because I, I really did. I wanted to like make sure that we were kind of amplifying these kinds of stories but I just felt a little bit like I wasn't sure what to say you know like Mm -hmm. yeah I know that I don't feel good about this I know that I don't agree but I also feel a little like you know kind of at a loss for what to say you know like I don't know how you feel because I know you were following this story as well yeah, I um it is hard to know what to say beyond this is idiotic. You know, and like beyond how dare they? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like just it's there because it's just so clearly like cruelty, you know, like the 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 data on rates of suicide and the data on depression in trans youth is there it exists you know so like the argument about protecting youth is is ridiculous ridiculous yeah thank you like it's just straight (laughs) up ridiculous and I think I I think that it's just another example of people who don't know what they're talking about regulating other people's bodies you know yeah I guess like I feel like kind of outraged but I feel like what am I going to do with that? You know, like I'm, I'm really upset about this. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not, but it's not something that's happening in even my country. So I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for like where to, where to like actively put that to, to do something to be helpful. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And try, I was trying really hard to like, think like, how can we think anthropologically about this? And I, I didn't get there. I don't know if you did. <laughs> I'm sorry if that's maybe like not exactly like where 
we want to take these discussions, but I like, kind of couldn't not bring this up. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I'm at a loss. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, like, I think that one way to think anthropologically about it is to think, especially in, in our boundary season, is to think of, like, the idea of the self and the idea of, like, autonomy and, like, what makes a person a person. And, like, you know, you're supposed to have autonomy over your own body. That's, like, one of the ways that our society at least thinks about the idea of the self is that you are who you are who you are in in your body um and that makes you you not not every everybody sees self that way but like we do um and i'm pretty sure that the lawmakers in arkansas do um and so these types of laws just completely pierce and like and intrude upon that that boundary upon the that limit right and I I think that it just the irony that it's coming from a political party that also talks so much about like personal freedoms and and like autonomy and like getting the government out of their you know like out of their business it just it's (laughs) the, the irony is um awful and also ridiculous Yeah. And it's like, it's not just, it's not as if this is a singular case. Um, I was reading some articles where I think it was also in Arkansas, like this is part of kind of a series of of anti-trans legislation. I read one that passed that was restricting like trans women from participating in, in like women's sports, which again, I don't know. It's just like, it's frustrating to see this happening and like, yeah like you like you said it's like ironic like how can they how can they on one hand kind of like push for these like individual freedoms um and then on the other hand say like no no not for you you know yeah yeah Um, I know they do this regularly and like why am I surprised um but man it's so hard to watch them like go against the data go against the you know, the trans people who are telling them this isn't what's good for us, you know, like, ugh, frustrating. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I, I don't really know what to do with it either. Um, like, it seems so far away. It's because it's not in Canada, we've got like that border and like that political and legal system separating us it's also like physically far away it's in a state that I've never been to before so it just feels like so other in my Mm -hmm. in my mind but I just I think like it is we need to be talking about this and thinking about it for the people who are there who are suffering because of this but also understanding how like these types of things spur political movements in a certain direction you know and like we really do not want politics to be pushed in that way and for other states to realize that that's something that could they could make happen if they wanted to so you know international (laughs) um dissent is key yeah I mean this is kind of um like precedent setting you know like in a way especially because it's been so public like internationally and I think in the U.S. um more broadly there so it's like a good reminder 
to think about like where things are going in your own country or province you know and to 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 look for these sorts of things um where you can take some action And to also just, I think that we should recognize, like, that for the trans people in our own community, hearing about this kind of thing in the news and knowing that this kind of thing is happening is also Mm -hmm. really traumatic and really difficult. So just like a reminder to, you know, give some care to your, your trans friends and family and loved ones. We sourced our information for these topics today from Muzadik Bidar for CBS News on the Amazon unionizing case. As well as Thompson Reuters and the Associated Press for CBC News. This episode was produced by me, Megan McGill. Music by Justin Kober. Cover art by Sophia Melian. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And come talk culture with us on Twitter at TalkCulturePod or Instagram at TalkCulturePodcast. And check out our website, talkingculture.ca, to pitch an idea and to hear more from the McGill Anthro community.